0: Hi everyone, welcome to another podcast with Flyover Labs from Madison, Wisconsin. And today we are lucky to have Ty Stavisky with us. Ty is the CFO of Milwaukee Tool, which is a huge power and hand tool company headquartered in Buffalo, Wisconsin. Most of you have probably used or at least seen their drills or saws. They have approximately 1,450 employees and locations in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and Brazil. So that's a lot to keep track of from the CFO perspective and grow. So I'm excited that uh, Ty said he could come on the show. Ty, uh, thanks for coming.
1: Hey, dude, Thank you so much for having me. Um, as you mentioned, Milwaukee Tool obviously is a, is a large corporation, and uh, uh, we've recently uh, just announced an expansion that we're going to be doing here in Brookfield. And uh, keeping track of everything is a big, uh, is a big path obviously uh, from my, from my level and perspective.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Milwaukee tool has been a great company for Wisconsin. That's for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: So I think first, the first half will, or the first part, we'll talk more about Ty's kind of background, like how to become CFO of Milwaukee tool, which is impressive. And then, uh, the second half more around business, like in his role at, as CFO and what he focuses on and his team and stuff like that. So, uh, Let's kick it off. Ty, can you give us a little bit on your background? And um. sure, sure.
1: I uh I graduated from uh, University of Wisconsin Madison uh, with a chemical engineering degree. So I have a BS in chemical engineering uh, back in the mid '90s. Um, And really, my career took off when I I started doing project work and engineering work, uh, and got out into the the private or public sector. during the early part of my career. So I spent about a third of my 20 years now in the industry, um, doing that type of work and really basically building a foundation for leadership. Um, so as I progressed through my engineering role, I, I went from being, uh, a, you know, an individual contributor engineer to being, um, looking at different facets of the business and becoming, you know, a project manager to being an engineering manager to being a director of operations uh, and really emphasizing moving up within that kind of that facet of the business. Can,
0: can you give an example uh, of, of a project you worked on?
1: Sure. I uh, I worked on opening up a, uh, a manufacturing facility in Switzerland uh, that processed uh, cosmetics. Uh, for an example, and then uh, also worked on a, uh, a food manufacturing facility and revamping a bit down in uh, in Illinois. So a, a lot of project-based uh, engineering-based work, and, and kind of started out with smaller projects and progressed myself up to the point of being able to uh, to work on larger um, projects of that such. So I, as I as I took a look at that. Uh, you know, I, I decided from a leadership perspective, I wanted to go back and get uh, an MBA in um, secondary uh, um, education. So I attended the University of Texas, uh, University of Texas Dallas, uh, and received my MBA with an emphasis in finance and accounting. And one of the biggest things that uh, was apparent to me as I was kind of working my way up the the ranks through the operations. Side of the business was I always seemed to be going to the uh, to the CFO asking for money, <laughs> and whether whether it was uh, whether it was for a project, for a new plant, for an idea, for a cost right. savings idea, it was it, I was always going to somebody else outside of my realm, uh, and mostly in the finance area, asking, "Hey, could you fund this, or could we get your analysis on this, and and uh, so that we could do it?" So it started to become very apparent that. Uh, um, that individual within any organization, um, seemed to have a, a significant amount of, uh, uh, influencing power and, and, and leverage. Um, and, and I really wanted to be that person, um, uh, and, and, and felt that my, um, strengths really lied in that area. So, so it was, it was interesting. I had, uh, I had a couple mentors that I worked with, uh, very closely, um, within, uh, my career that, that kind of steered me towards that finance accounting role and not knowing where it would go. Um, I then took on numerous, um, positions within the finance and accounting areas where I worked in, uh, first off in an area that I was very familiar with, which was operations. So taking on a controllership, a plant controller type of role where I would, uh, be very involved in the operation side that I was, um, you know, familiar with and then being able to leverage my financial side. And I think the one big key thing and takeaway that I, that, that was apparent to me, um, and why I was able to leverage my, uh, engineering and specifically chemical engineering background and being able to be successful in the financial area was, um, you know, the skill set that you build being a chemical engineer is the ability to, uh, basically model out any process to be able to determine um scenarios as to if i have various different inputs into a model i'm going to get these different outputs and, and that's truly my belief And that taken that through my career here and and built it around my teams that i've been able to uh, assemble uh to support the business is that as financial experts and as accountants and various things, we can always model out and forecast and predict what's going to happen in the business and specifically the financials so that we have an understanding and it's not a a guessing game as to what the outcome is going to be. And and that really, that really stems all the way back to that engineering background. So it's been a nice, good blend of, uh, basis and skill set coming out of the engineering and applying that to the financial aspect and understanding of, uh, of how that applies to the business. Huh. Um, so it's been, it's been a fun, it's been a fun ride for sure.
0: So <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense. In the uh, especially with the modeling aspect and the, and the leadership, like you said, you know, you went from, it's not like you went from being a staff chemical engineer to a CFO. There's a lot of a, Probably a lot of leadership positions in between where you right. Decide.
1: And I and I think leadership is the key thing. I mean, as you take a look at, at different CFOs within the organization, um, one of the things I think that makes a a great CFO and a good leader more than anything uh, within it is is usually the CFOs come out of some other aspect or area of the business or understanding so that they're not just been in the financial realm or in the public accounting sector their entire career. Um, it's the individuals that have come up through leadership roles and have done other things in the business that gives them that aspect. Because as a CFO, the one thing that you have to do is you have to basically um, know just about every part of the business. You have to have an understanding of the operations. You have to have an understanding of the product marketing, the engineering. You have to understand what's going on in sales and marketing roles. And one of the biggest things I could say to anybody that's trying to, uh, you know, become a, a financial leader within any organization is ensuring that you're you're moving around and understanding and spending time in those different parts of the business to support them so that you truly do get a 360 view of the business and you're not just laser lock focused or siloed into one aspect of part of the business. Um, because that that's key and critical, to making sure that, you know, you understand exactly what's happening and where the investment and where you can leverage the different parts of the business in order to be, you know, be as profitable as, as you can be and, and have the biggest return on the, the investment in equity.
0: Because there's probably a few other leadership execs who have kind of the, the broad overview that you do. And, of course, the CEO does. Um, but, you know, like the head of sales or... Um, yeah, you know, uh, marketing, you know they're focused more on their one aspect. I mean, they have to know about other things, but yeah, I mean my, my new point
1: is as a, as a CFO you're you're the right hand person of the CEO right? and, yeah. and, and that person always has the, the broader view of the entire business and and you know it from more of the financial aspect but also have that same view. Um, you know, we have other, obviously in all the organizations that I've worked at, we've had, you know, uh, you know, head of sales, a president of sales, or you've got a chief marketing officer, whatever, but they are a little bit more focused per se on their respective areas just because that, that's kind of where their, their viewpoint is. So, um, but as a financial person and having to understand the, uh, entire business, and having to understand the financials related, so you really do have to have that total broad view of the entire business, and at least have an understanding of those different areas.
0: No, that makes sense. And so, uh, going back to the personal side, what the, sure. so those mentors? How do you think they were critical at all for you, or and if they were, did you seek them out? How did you uh, how did you make that happen?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I've had a couple of different ones. I mean, so my first CFO that I worked for. Um, he was, he was a mentor to me because he was a very analytical individual. Um, and really, I spent a lot of time and learned a lot on um, applying uh, different scenario analysis and being able to take a look at understanding and getting into the weeds, basically, of, of different financials um, and, and really understanding how do you forecast how do we model things how do you look at different uh opportunities within a business to understand what the paybacks are and where you should invest so can give, um can give, i really
0: can you give an example yeah. can you give an example of that sure if you've got a uh you know one of the biggest things that
1: we do especially when you you deal with big box retailers there's, there's a ton of opportunities out there for line reviews on product uh, placement and new business that you want to win uh and really being able to put not not just a snapshot look of, hey, here's what one year of this uh, winning of this business and what you have to pay to get the business is, um or the price concessions that you may need to get, but really looking at it over a three- or a five-year period in which you believe you're truly going to have that business. And then what are the things that you can do to your product offering over those three to five years that could change, you know... And be different than what it looks like in year one or year zero, um, that would sway your, uh, decision making process on whether this is a good decision for the business to go after, um, this, this additional product placement. That's
0: interesting. Uh, and it's
1: th- things like that where you're looking very macro long, um, uh, extended, you know, look at things versus taking a look at the, the very short sighted. Uh, viewpoint of oh my gosh it looks like we might lose money in year one but oh we're not taking into account that we may have this business for the next five years and oh by the way look at all the things that happen when we get additional volume that may a factory or we look at um, additional concessions that we may get from vendors and things like that so um, taking a look at that holistic view is, was a real big key and critical uh, example
0: interesting and, and probably updating those forecasts as you learn uh, well whether it's new inputs or if you made mistakes in the model the first time. Right, must be hard exactly. Forecasting five, it must be hard forecasting five years out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenge, but at the same time, you know, if you're if you're plus or minus 5% in year one and you're plus or minus, you know, 7% in year two and you're plus or minus 10, you still have the capability to say, what's my best case, what's my worst case. True. Um, and, and being able that that's another thing that people, you know, Financial uh, you know leaders have a tendency to get caught up in the, you know, fourth decimal place out uh, <laughs> yeah. beyond something and, and not looking at here's different scenarios and here's where I think my best case would be and here's where I think my worst case would be. I mean at least have some guide rails and guideposts there. And I think that's key to being able to look at things and make decisions off things to understand where you fall in the guide rail, uh, as opposed to worrying that hey i'm going to you know be to the hundredth decimal place of a of a, uh, a calculation in year
0: one yeah no, that's smart it that makes sense and so before we go to more of the the business side i mean we have talked about the business side of things too but i'd like to ask about uh you know trying to paint a picture of uh, who you are and which i think you've done a good job of how you know if somebody is an engineer and how do they get to the financial side of things and along that path you know what uh what mistakes have you made or are there some critical mistakes you made that you've learned a lot from and you advise other people not making or have you come across that?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's, there's mistakes that you learn along the way and challenges that you have. And, uh, um, you know, I think we all make mistakes in, <laughs> yep. in whether it be in decision processes or you say, hey, listen, I took a larger swing or bet on something. Um, and I think that just comes down to how much risk you wanted to take. Um, and, and I've made a couple of those along the way where, you know, either I've been, let's use the term persuaded by, uh, other individuals within the business, um, and maybe didn't take as hard of a breath, look at, uh, at the financials or at the risk associated with something and just assumed, um, that, you know, it had been laid out crystal clear to me as to what the risks were and didn't really maybe factual double check some things. Um, and so I think there's, there's always that, that, you know, you, you're only as good as what you know, um, type of mentality sometimes. But, um, one of the, one of the things I've learned along the way is that you need to make sure that, um, you ask, you know, maybe you ask why or how five different times, um, in order to get down to, um, making sure that everyone has looked at every possible, you know, risk or aspect of a project or an opportunity to ensure that you've taken into account um, all the different factors that could play into it.
0: And your broad experience working with different divisions and your chemical engineering, that probably helps a little bit too, asking, you know, seeing an issue from lots of different sides and being able to ask important why questions which is hard. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's tough. And, and sometimes it's not easy for individuals, right, especially when they're coming to bring you a project or bring you a, a next uh, initiative that you want to launch. And, and uh, you know, it, sometimes it's uncomfortable when you start asking why about five different times and you get pretty <laughs> deep into it and you peel back that onion uh, and, and, and try to figure out, you know, uh, you know what is the risk associated? Or are we taking a flyer on this? Has everyone done their homework? Um, and making sure, and, and you know, as a, as a CFO and, and as any leader with any corporation, I mean, that's really what your you know your challenge is to to the the um, levels below you is is really trying to bring the experience that you have and and asking all those questions and making sure that we're making the proper decisions for the corporation.
0: And that and people bring these projects to you that it could be, um, yeah, you know, a a new partnership or a or with a, a big box or a new, uh, new factory. I mean, it's a, it's a wide variety. Absolutely.
1: What, Absolutely. It, it goes from, it goes from sales and marketing partnerships that we would have. Uh, and this has been across all of my, uh, um, uh, experience over the last 20 years. And, uh, or it could be opening a new factory in a new geographical region to, uh, a new business opportunity or to an acquisition that we may want to take a look at. Right. And it's, it's always understanding, uh, you know, uh digging into it deeper and asking all the the pertinent questions to ensure that we're making the right business decision.
0: Interesting. And we could have a whole podcast and just on each one of those areas would be interesting oh. to dive into cuz they all have their own <laughs> all have their own issues and questions that probably need to be asked.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> there um, there's
1: no two that are the same for
0: sure. Yes, and so maybe we could dive in if we have time on one of them later, but um yeah. So let's go, switch a little bit more to the business focus and, uh, you know, can you give people a perspective on your role as CFO at Milwaukee tool? You know, w- what are your priorities and, um, like who's on your team?
1: Sure. Uh, so as a CFO, I mean, we're a, uh, we're a $2 billion organization, um, with, uh, offices, obviously here in Brookfield, Wisconsin, our headquarters office, but we also have a uh, manufacturing facilities, um, uh, global manufacturing facilities in the u s, Europe, and Asia. Um, and we have responsibility over those manufacturing facilities. Uh, we also have sales offices in uh, in Canada, Latin america, uh, mexico. Um, so we have those responsibilities. so my main you know priority as as a cFO is is ensuring the the uh, financial integrity of the business and delivering on our objectives um, and what we, our commitments to our parent company are. Um, so on a day in and day out basis, I can definitely say that there's never two days that are the same um, because of that, the challenges of being a global business and, and being a company that's growing at the pace in which we are. So over the last, um, since I've been here in 2008, um, we've been experiencing 20% growth year over year. Wow. Um, so the, the, um, the amount of growth that we've experienced at least you're some challenges that you see as a, as a, a leader within the organization. Um, and, and keeping the, so, so here my biggest challenge has been, um, right now is, is understanding where to invest. Where do you invest that's going to get you the biggest return, uh, in, to, in order to keep fueling that growth engine, uh, for the years to come. So, uh, we spend a lot of time doing that, uh, and understanding that and then setting the strategy for the business. And as we look, you know, five years out, um, we're constantly refreshing the strategy on a, on a yearly basis to, to add the to next year and, and review what we achieved in the, uh, if we hit our strategy in the, in the year that just passed. So, um, so from my perspective, it, it's not only the financial side. So as a CFO, but I've also got some some other ancillary parts of the business that roll up underneath me. Um, uh, I have the uh, the IT and, and infrastructure technology side uh, underneath myself. Uh, I also have the um, uh, the, the accounting and controllership, the finance side, uh, that side, and then I also have a, a data log responsibility for the legal aspect of our business and the general council. So, uh, lots of different, uh, wear a lot of different hats, uh, as a CFO, it's not just on the finance side. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of, uh, um, different, uh, avenues within the business. That I'm looking after.
0: Where, where do you spend most of your time? Do you think? it? it... Uh, I it's, it's spend most of my time, um,
1: Spending time with my team directly, uh, providing guidance, and and being in meetings to to understand the different aspects and parts of the business, um, and then also spending time on on the uh, on understanding the the strategy, and and how the different projects and initiatives that we have align with our strategy, and then reviewing those uh, on a you know on a case by case basis. Gotcha. Um, so, so I rely heavily on my team to do a significant amount of the analytics um, and um, being able to support the business. And I think the one big key thing about why I think we've had the success that we've had um, and, and the team that we've been able to develop here is that the, the biggest thing that I look for is I, I hate the, the uh, finance accounting best jockey. Um, and what I mean by that is the person that's glued to their computer and only runs spreadsheets and analytics all day. Um, the way that I organize and the way that I structure is um, the the team is to support the business. So we place the, the financial individuals in the way that we're structured into our actual business unit um, and, and basically create financial individuals that are, call them miniature CFOs. Um, because that's the way that we measure and metrics the business. So uh, the decision making process is I, is that those individuals are empowered to make decisions uh, with their respective leader within the different parts of the business. So, um, so I want those individuals. The biggest thing that I see is, as a, a CFO, and the biggest thing that I, I think is the advantage to an organization like we have is is that we have at the table for all of the financial individuals. It's not that they're brought in at the last minute or anything, but they're actually partners and they're invited to the table in any of the upfront decision-making process and get involved in the project. Um, And that's key and critical uh, because the more you get upfront in that, the more that you can can help drive the business and be able to deliver on the results that uh, um, that's been given and, and that you're challenging your team to deliver.
0: Interesting. And how many people are, are on your team? Uh, of all those
1: different uh, uh, areas that I mentioned, yeah. I think we've got
0: ninety-nine
1: employees at this point in time. Uh,
0: okay, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of folks. And uh, and what would be? So how do you even know how to focus on from an investment standpoint? You know, there's probably lots of opportunities. Do you have certain benchmarks? Um, that you need to hit over the next five years if, if you want to pursue a certain investment um, or how do you uh, how do you evaluate that and how does it did, does it first do your your many uh, CFOs evaluate first and then when they think it's uh, ready for tie they bring it to you or yeah absolutely I mean I,
1: I mean the, the biggest thing that we have is we have a process where we 've got a two kind of let's call it a two headed monster within our business and, and we call it first we call it our operational excellence. So one of the biggest things that um, we've been able to instill and we put in, uh, in back in 2008 was the ability to understand exactly what's going on with our business and and being able to forecast correctly, uh, be able to understand and model out what the next uh, 24 months looks like from a financial perspective, and then getting very good at... Um, uh, the efficiency of being able to report and close the books and and get that operating rhythm going so we know exactly each business unit, what their metrics are, that we know exactly what the P&L that they need to deliver is, uh, and we've put together a very good operating rhythm as far as reporting that out and then determining our risks and our opportunities associated with that and then building contingency plans in order to deliver. So when you put that operational excellence component into place, it allows you it gives you the capability to say, okay, that piece of the business is taken care of. So that day-to-day operation piece of the business, we've got that, uh, and we understand it, and we know how to act on it. And what it does is it allows you to deliver your results, and then what we have is we've got a, a term that we've coined that's called uh, X to I, which is Excel to Invest. And what I've challenged the team to do and, and the leadership here, team here to do is, um, to take the over delivery of the numbers. And when we, when we run our operational excellence, we do a very good job of delivering, uh, what we have to the, to our parent company and the results and the, and the profit. And then we take that profit and we reinvest any over delivery of profit, we reinvest that back into the business. And when we talk about Excel to invest, we talk about the opportunity to take a look at what are we gonna do with those funds. So we have a very good model uh built within our business that we've created that uh, uh that that basically says for every project that we have, here's what it's going to take, here's the premise that we wanna run, and then here's also the financials behind it. And once again, like I mentioned up front. Not just a one year financial, but let's take a look at the five year or the length of that project financials to understand what it is. And at that point in time, we have, um, we start to put these all together from our different business units, which right now we have four of. Um, and we, we take a look at those business units and we start to prioritize those based upon the opportunity due to, is it a very complex project? Is it a very, uh, labor intensive project? What's the timing of the project, um, and then what's the financial payback on the project? So, so once you take those kind of those four metrics together, um, you can you can really start to uh, put together a, a rating system for that, yeah. um, and then we start to review those.
0: That's what I was going to ask. So you almost have like a score that you assign.
1: Yeah, hey, it's, hey, it's, wait, it's a very loose... A soft a very loose.
0: yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a soft score because there's, there's times where you, you
1: override the score, right? Sometimes because you say, hey, listen, there's a competitive threat that may be in the industry um, that we need to to uh, reprioritize something that may not have the highest score, but we know that it's um, something that we have to attack in order to maintain some business um, that we may have. So you, you obviously have to... Um, use that score very loosely, but at the same time, it gives you the, the initial um, kind of totem pole rank yep, yep. Uh, for how you go. So,
0: No, makes sense. And so we're almost out of time. I got two, we can, well, they could be long questions, but we can make them quick. Uh, one, one, one is uh, just curious about the manufacturing and, you know, I know you do manufacturing all over the world. Do you see more being pulled back to the United States? Um, and the to go along with that, does a lot of your revenue growth, is that international? So it sounds like you're going to add on 400 million revenue this year, which is a, it's a lot of, a, it's a lot of drills. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: no, so, so from, uh, I can, I can, uh, I can mention to the, the, uh, the revenue side, uh, all of that is organic. Okay. Um, and that's all mostly North America wow. and, and Mexico and Latin America. Okay. So, um, so the majority of that is actually just coming through uh, the innovative technology that we have coming out. So um, one of the biggest reasons why you can kind of see the growth that we've been able to establish over the 20 you know, percent growth over the past uh, eight years has really been because of um, the disruptive innovation that we brought to market. Um, So the the main key thing that we have in our business is the fact that we're, our entire business isn't an inward facing business. It's an outward facing business. And what I mean by that is we are so focused on our end users and so focused on the individuals using our products that we listen to them and we innovate and design our products in order to provide productivity solutions to our end users. We're not a group that like, you know, Tool manufacturers specifically, uh, back in the, the eighties were developing motor technologies and new battery technologies, uh, in the eighties and nineties. And, and what you basically had was a, a grouping of, of individuals that said, Hey, we're going to develop a tool and shove it out to <laughs> the contractor and they better like it, um, because it's the coolest tool as, in, as, as that we've ever designed. Um, and unfortunately that's not how the industry works and when you become an outward facing organization and what I mean by that is everybody's outward facing so it's not just the sales and marketing organization or the product development organization or the product marketing it's every single person within our organization from IP to finance to HR to legal that's outward facing and understanding and collecting the data uh, as much as we can and listening to our end users Um, and when you do that is when you're able to achieve the, the type of growth numbers that we have because then we can provide disruptive innovation to the market and then we can do the things like we've done, which is basically launch more new products uh over the last eight years than all of our competitors uh combined. Wow. Um so it, it's it's just one of those um those key, you know, I call them secret sauces uh, to our business and and one of the things that's really been able to to fuel our growth.
0: Well, now, now I have a lot of questions around that, but I'll hold off. Maybe, maybe <laughs> another time. Maybe another time. And uh, There you go. Um, oh, and before...
1: You uh, manu- wanted to talk a little bit about manufacturing. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so manufacturing onshore. I mean, we, we have three manufacturing facilities in, in the United States right now. Um, and, and you know what? It, from a... From a global perspective, it really just depends upon where you get the best cost, and what I mean by that is not the lowest cost. The biggest thing that we take a look at is the, the cost of the quality, the cost of the um, the freight, the duties, everything associated with uh, with the cost of the product, and, and where we get the uh, where we have the technology. So um so whether we're we're manufacturing something in in Europe or we're manufacturing in Asia where we're manufacturing in the US it really is dependent upon where the the supply bases and the vendor bases for what we're manufacturing uh who has the technological expertise and, and then where do you get the the best uh uh leverage and, and cost energies uh, associated with that so do i think there's the opportunity for more stuff to be onshored in the US there, there, i think there's a possibility um, and we're, we've just expanded into a new factory in the U.S. Uh, in Mississippi. Uh, we had two factories and now we've got three. So as as that business grows, we needed to expand and, and grow that business and to add more capacity. Um, and we look to do that in the United States rather than doing that someplace else. So I think there's there's tons of opportunity, I think, globally. Uh, it just depends upon um, where that best cost lies.
0: Interesting. And- and uh, last question, I promise. Uh, so, you know, what are... Uh, I mean, this goes back to kind of your priorities, but, you know, what do you wake up worrying about? Is there anything, you know, is there, is there specific things that you worry about on a regular basis that you... Uh, it, it's it's so
1: funny that that question gets asked so often now after, the you know, 2008. <laughs> um, it's it's like the, it's the common question yep. you hear. Um, you, you know, the, the thing that... I, I don't there's not as much to worry about now. I, I mean, my bigger thing is, you know, the macroeconomics of the, of the uh, United States and where, you know, 75 to 80% of our um revenue comes from in the, you know, North American market, you know, it, it doesn't change on a day, out, day, day in and day out basis. Um, you know, you, you see a lot of fluctuations in the stock market. You see a lot of things about oil and you see a lot of things about China a slow down and things like that, but when you take a hard look into um, the macroeconomics of the United States, it doesn't feel like there's um, a significant amount of risk at this point in time. Um, and we do even further, I mean, we don't look at just the macroeconomics, we dive very deep into you know industrial construction, we look at residential construction, um, we take a look at a lot of things, and when we see um listening to a lot of the housing comments and think that the industry that we're very closely tied to. Um, it, you basically see that there's kind of a, a boom in housing, call it a mini boom. Let's not use the term big boom like back in 2006. But there's been some pent up demand um, that's out there right now and a lack of supply uh, in the housing industry. Uh, and we're expecting to see that, you know, kind of continue to ramp up over the next, call it three to five years uh, and not really take a dip or slow down. And, and that's really due to some of the demographics that you see and some of the changes in uh, um, the different generations and where things are going uh, with people holding on a houses longer. And you've got millennials that are now moving out, either moving from rent or moving out of parents' basements in, in order to, to buy homes and stuff now. Um, so you're starting to see some of those um, things happen. So my bigger challenge right now is because of the growth that we're having and in the, and the, uh, the expansion that we're doing and the amount of headcount that we're adding is finding really talented individuals to come in and, and work in the business and in uh, the labor shortage to us right now, especially in some of the specific areas, whether that be, you know, software engineering or whether that's mechanical engineering or it's even in um, you know, product marketing, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to, to find talented individuals at this point in time, um, and especially when you're going through an expansion where you're adding, you know, three to five hundred heads over the next three to five years. Um, wow. it, that's that's the biggest challenge, I think, is the, it's the labor pool of talented individuals that, that really uh, keeps
0: me awake a little yeah. bit. That makes sense. So if anybody out there is pretty talented in those areas... Give Ty, or probably better, the HR department a call in Milwaukee Tool. <laughs> um, but no, this has been a great, Ty. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot. And uh, appreciate you coming on the oh, show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: And thanks, everyone, for listening to uh, Flower Labs. And uh, we'll see you next time.